Are you looking to optimize your performance, grow your mind, and change your system? Well, you've come to the right place. I'm Brad Baker. And I'm Tom Broback. And, and this, this is the Bold Base Performance Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Broback, and today's guest is Kevin Carr. Kevin holds many titles as a licensed massage therapist, a strength and conditioning coach, and a certified functional strength coach. Kevin is co-owner of Movement as Medicine within Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning. Kevin also has his hands in numerous other projects, including his book, Functional Training Anatomy, coming out March 1st. Check out the show notes for more on Kevin. Thank you for listening to the Bull Base Performance Podcast. Let's continue to grow the mind and change the system. When you first started out in your career, did you know that you want to be involved in a lot of different avenues, a lot of different projects and a lot of different even career fields? Or did that just kind of evolve as you started to learn and grow? Yeah, I mean, I think like many people that are in this field, you kind of have to figure out what part of the strength conditioning and fitness universe you want to live in, right? And so I, I took some experience and in, in interned in a college setting. Um, I entertained the idea of moving towards a collegiate or professional job for a while. Um, but I ultimately liked the freedom and autonomy that came with being an entrepreneur and working in the private sector. And obviously people like Mike Boyle or, and Bob Hansen at, at MBSC were big mentors for me and eight being able to kind of watch how they lived their life and kind of how they ran their business was inspiring to me to kind of stay in the private sector. And I, I'm definitely someone who's drawn to autonomy of being self-employed. And, and that was something that, that drew me. And, and that's not to say uh, that there's anything wrong with being in, uh, the collegiate or professional sector. This just spoke to me more. I like, I, I like kind of being in the mix with um, a lot of different things. Like, like I was saying, being stuck at home this week kind of drives me nuts. Um, but like being able to see gen pop clients, being able to see massage clients, being able to see athletes working on different projects, I, that energy um, is attractive to me. And so, so I found kind of my fit in this, but I, what I always recommend to younger coaches is you got to kind of try a little bit of everything to see what the right setting is for you. What part of self-employment do you enjoy the most? And what part of it is, has been the biggest challenge? Um, I like that, like we're able to start new projects and, in right. you know, if there's something that we're interested in, we can just build it like this uh, idea of MBSC TV. It's people were, that we just launched a couple weeks ago. We had this thing, uh, this service through MBSC for a while called body by boil online. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of thought of a way to rebrand it and rebuild it and change it. And, uh, you know, the beauty of, you know, free enterprises, we decided, you know, we're going to build this business. We're going to kind of rebrand it and relaunch it. And, and that was like, that's exciting to me, building something um, and, and building a new business is exciting to me. Now, the same things are what caused frustration, like being an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. someone uh, likened it to me. I heard someone say this to me before that it's like uh, riding a lion. You're like, oh my God, it's amazing. I'm riding this lion. It's amazing. And then I, at some point you're like, how the hell do I get off of this line <laughs> without getting killed? Right. Um, and that's, that's really entrepreneurship, you know, because it's on sure. you, you know, every single day you got employees that depend on you. You got your family that depends on you. And it's just kind of comes back to you running a business. And that's, 
um, that can be a lot to bear, but I think it's worth it if uh, you value the autonomy and freedom of, of being a business owner. I like that analogy a lot. The other thing I, I'll speak to on the projects, and I've had my hands in a lot of different settings professionally, the, the, the idea that, hey, I think of this project today and I can start today and, you know, in the next couple of weeks we can get it moving versus having to get uh, like check in with your supervisor and they check in with their manager and that takes weeks and months just to, it can be really delayed when you're working in a bigger corporate setting. So the idea that, Hey, like I want to work on this project and I can even start it today or tomorrow that has uh, a certain feel and a certain sense of empowerment when you are running your own place, when you are running um, movement as medicine, when you want to start a project, do you just get it going or do you collaborate with a couple of people within either your company or with, within Mike Boyle's strength conditioning before you get moving on it? Yeah, you, I'll always bounce the ideas off the sure. people who are around me. I think we're so, the value of MBSC and like movement as medicine and the kind of the, the little bubble that we have there is that there's a lot of people with good ideas and it's never one person that is responsible for you know, the, the outcome of a project is usually everybody's input and collaboration. So obviously Brendan, um, Rierick is a big sounding board for me. He, he will call each other daily and talk about different ideas. Um, Mike and Bob are obviously great, uh, you know, mentors to have. And then the other coaches that are there who, who they'll help, they'll give me their opinion and their input and I can see things from a different angle. So we're always kind of collaborating and talking about, uh, whatever we have kind of coming down the pipeline. And that's invaluable to, to have. Did you ever struggle with going all in on ideas that weren't your own? Because that's something I struggle with. And I've noticed when I have an idea, I'm really behind it. When someone else has an idea, it takes me a little bit longer to get behind it. Have you ever struggled with that? Yeah. Well, what I find is like, I, I don't mind if the idea isn't mine. I like to be able to have input and impact on it. Sure. I'm the type of person that, again, I, like I said, I value autonomy. And I think sometimes if I'm not you know, having a hand in something, it can be hard for me to be energized by it. Right. And I not to say I don't like working as a team. I, I definitely enjoy that, but I like to feel like I am having an impact on whatever that project is. Um, and, and so I find I work best when we can sit in a group and talk about like, um, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is everybody's responsibility. This is um, what your action task is for the week or for the month or whatever it might be. And that helps me focus in on what I'm doing. But if I don't have like a uh, task ahead of me that I can right. see impacts the project, sometimes I can get uh, like de-energized, right, so to speak. But um, I think that's part of like understanding self-leadership and kind of group leadership and, and figuring out where you fit in the dynamic of a, a team project. The times of my life where I struggle the most is when that that lack of uh, like a task or a purpose or what's the goal for today, that there's a lack of that there. So I definitely agree with that. If you don't know what you need to get done, it's really hard to get energized and to be motivated. Um, you mentioned kind of in strength conditioning in this world, everyone has to kind of pick a corner, pick a niche, get really good at that and help contribute because we all can't be the ones who we can't all be massage therapists. We can't all be physical therapists. We can't all you know, be everything or be all in the same one. How did you come about wanting to get into massage therapy? Um, mostly because I think Brendan and I saw a need for it. Sure. Um, we'd been at MBSC for a few years and we had both 
before we kind of went into strength and conditioning, thought about doing physical therapy or athletic training. Um, I took some classes at UMass Amherst for that. And I kind of entertained the idea. Um, and like a lot of people, I chose strength and conditioning because of like a physical therapy experience that I had. That's why I kind of pursued the field and went into kinesiology. Um, but after working at MBSC, we just saw a need for manual, good manual therapy. Um, we're blessed to have, you know, John Paloff on location. We've had, he's been there for a long time at MBSC. Um, but there was just a demand for people to get hands-on work and we didn't really have, uh, that many people servicing. So we saw an opportunity there and I, I thought that I, Hey, we could kind of combine this with what we're already doing. And then it was very fortuitous that like we were going through school, essentially helping to run MBSC, taking Mm -hmm. night classes. And right as we were finishing school, we expanded the gym and we got this extra space built in. Like we got this extra turf room, but then there was this little office space in the front that they weren't really sure what they were going to do with yet. And but Mike, I remember Brendan and I essentially said to Mike and Bob, like, what do you want for rent? Like, we'll just start paying now um, to open this business. It was just uh, so much about entrepreneurship or, or business is about also luck and timing. Absolutely. Um, and, and we happen to have an opportunity to do that. If not, I'm not sure there would have been a space that would have been popping up a table in the middle of the gym or something, which is obviously less than ideal. So, um, yeah, it just, it just kind of worked out. When you talk about luck and timing, I think in this last year, we have really learned about unfortunate luck and timing with uh, the COVID, with the pandemic, with the economy changing, what advice would you have for strength coaches that are just getting into the field, trying to get their feet wet, trying to get opportunities in a time that's so unpredictable and so up and down with gyms closing, reopening, restructuring, things like that? Um, I think, I mean, yeah, obviously I've seen some businesses that are amazing really get crushed by this pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I've seen some people thrive through it. And I think it's all a matter of circumstances. And never did you ever think that like, how often did you think about your mayor uh, your local mayor and the effect that they would have on your daily life. Right. Like you don't think about that. And then all of a sudden you're like, I guess that really, really matters. Right. And uh, you never would have thought. And so, uh, so much of that is luck. And, and, and I mean, we've been fortunate that, you know, our local ordinances have been good. We haven't been shut down. We've been able to kind of weather the storm and we've had a strong community. Um, but again, a, a big part of that is luck. Like we, we, we were real worried for, you know, I think it was what March till end of mm-hmm. June, start of July. We were like, yeah. we don't know if we're going to make it out of this. We flew real close to the to the ground, um, and managed to you know uh, pull up out of it. And and you know, part of that is because there was this was a really strong business uh, beforehand. But part of it is also luck. Like we could have been like some of the cities in Massachusetts that are just a few miles down the road from us that just reopened a few weeks ago, right. And, and a lot of those gyms are, are gone and, and that's really unfortunate. So um, I think part of it is us being prepared and us being a successful business, but a lot of it is just the circumstances around us. And, and uh, we were lucky enough to, to fly through it. One thing that, that you do and Mike Boyle strength conditioning does super well is having an online presence, whether you're doing courses online, whether it's body by Boyle online, whether it's strengthcoach.com, your social media presence. When you first started out, did you realize the impact social media and online presence could have in the strength and conditioning community? Or did you kind of just realize that in the last year or two, like, wow, I'm so glad 
we put in time and investment and energy into this because sometimes in-person does get taken away from unforeseen circumstances. Um, it wasn't, it probably wasn't the last few, the last couple of years, but a few years back when I started to kind of grow our movement as medicine following, uh, mainly through things like Instagram, that I realized this could be a fast way to elevate your, uh, the ability for people to see you in what mm -hmm. you're doing. Um, obviously, Mike has always had a big standing in the second he started using things like Twitter and leveraging social media, it, it, he grew even more. And, and I think that we were pretty early on using Instagram for our business. I mean, I think we kind of grew that following. I mean, it was probably like eight years ago, seven, eight years ago, it was, it, we'd start to grow up pretty big. And that, that was a great way to kind of elevate us and get our message out and market our business at Movement is Medicine. Um, and now I'm thankful that we did, obviously, because um, we're able to reach more people to get people to courses and obviously talk about whatever we're doing, whether it's a book or whether it's a webinar or a seminar we just had. It's obviously been our main marketing and advertising tool. We don't, re there's really no other medium to use these days other than that. So I'm, I'm lucky and fortunate that we did grow that. And that we, I always tell our coaches, like, I, I don't want you to just be an influencer. I do want you to coach every day and, and learn how to be a coach with your efforts day to day in the gym. But I think it's very difficult to leverage and grow a career. If you're going to be in the private sector, um, like us, if you don't put some time and energy into that part of your business, because that's where people's attention is. That's how people find out about you, whether it's the consumer that's coming to the gym or whether it's other fitness professionals, if that's your market, uh, you, you have to, to find them where their attention is. What do you think younger strength coaches struggle with the most these days? I think filter, being able to understand where to find information, being influenced by strong opinions from other people. I think you have to be able to shut out all the other noise and just focus on, you know, taking in information that's going to help your clients. Again, I think going back kind of what we just said is if you, if your whole goal is to impress other professionals online, you're going to fall flat. Mm -hmm. Those aren't your consumers. Those, even though you might be selling education, doing a really good job with people in person is the bedrock of educating other coaches. And if you're not putting your energy into finding the way to get, provide the best client experience, then uh, I think that you're, you're putting your energy in the wrong place. And so whenever I talk to our young coaches, I said, like, you have to be able to filter, read everything. That's great. You can take in a lot of stuff, but then it's how you process it and put it into what you're doing every day. And then understand that everything you consume is in context of what that person is teaching you. So when you see someone say, you know, this exercise is bad, or this is how you should coach, or um, this is my experience with X, it's their experience. And you have to filter it into your experience. And everything, that's all that really matters because context is everything. And there's that saying that everyone says, like, it depends, is true. Um, and so I, for young coaches, like, I want you to read and take in information, but it has to all go back to helping the people that walk into your gym every day. Exactly. You can have all the hypothetical scenarios that you want, but at the end of the day, are you getting people better? Are you helping them reach their goals? And how are you doing that? And that's the best way to not only educate other coaches, but to educate future patients or patients or clients that are working with you right now. How did you improve your filter system? Um, I, I mean, Mike was very helpful in that because I think sure. he does a good job. Whenever we would have guest speakers come in, he would always say like, how can we take this 
and apply it into our program to make our mm-hmm. program better. Yep. And he, we would get like the MBSC version of PRI or the MBSC version of speed work or the MBSC version of Olympic lifting. Right. And, and how did it, we would use it, but it's like, you can only utilize a small percentage of what's taught in a course. or it's taught in a book. And so finding, he did a good job of that. And so uh, I would always go back to that question. How can I take what I'm reading right now and apply it to the people I see every day and being able to like take notes. Like when I read a book, I try to take notes and think about like, what are my practical takeaways? When I watch a lecture, I try to think, okay, how can I apply uh, what I just learned in movement as medicine? So for instance, like I heard at our seminar this past weekend, Jill Cook spoke about patellotendinopathy and patellofemoral pain, differential diagnosis and treatment, right? And I thought, okay, how can I take this information and make us better at diagnosing the two and having a system for treating the two based on our setting? Um, And there were going to be some things that I'm going to do different and things that I'm going to do the same, but I was able to kind of filter that information. And that's how you get the most value, I think, out of your education. Absolutely. And also it helps you apply. So when you're seeing someone else run a program or they post a video or they write a blog, you don't always know the context of their setting and their goals. So let's just say, for example, I follow a coach and they don't do any sled training. Well, maybe they don't do sled training because they don't have the space or the money for it, or they don't have the time to like bring this, you know, things that you don't know what their constraints are. So it's hard to always apply what they're doing in their system. And it has to be more like what you're saying, how can you apply their, their expertise, their knowledge, their advice, to what you're doing in your system and the, the stronger feelings and experience and success you've had with your system, it's easier to apply those different principles that you learn into what you're doing. Exactly. Exactly. You brought up a book earlier and you happen to be writing a book. I think it's finished. It's coming out March 1st. Tell me more about it and let's just dive into that. Yep. Yeah, so um, I have a book coming out with Mary-Kate Fight, uh, who's actually a former MBSC coach as well and a professor at Springfield College. It's called Functional Training Anatomy, um, and it's through Human Kinetics. It'll be available everywhere March 1st. You can currently pre-order on Amazon. And um, it's essentially an anatomical guide to training. So it takes us through the entire program that we do at MBSC, from the mobility work to the movement prep to uh, power and all of our strength training exercises and breaks them down anatomically. Um, the human kinetics people do an amazing job with the illustrations. So what we did is we took pictures of all of these exercises. Um, and what we found is like they drew in all the anatomy of the people doing the exercises um, with explanations of, you know, why do we choose this for like, why do we choose med ball throws for power generation, shoulder health? Why do we choose Olympic lifting and kind of go through the entire program? So I hope that it could kind of be a guide um, for coaches to choose exercises and program uh, more effectively. How did you get the idea for the book? Um, You know what? Honestly, I'd like to say it was completely my idea, but it wasn't. I was actually approached by Human Kinetics um, a couple of years ago with um, they, they essentially had a few different ideas that they would like, um, to, to kind of think about putting into a book. So I talked with them, uh, and kind of formed them into what we currently have now. Um, and we, we kind of narrowed it down to functional training anatomy. So it's kind of like, like anything, it's kind of a group think project until we kind of narrowed it down. And I wanted something that went really well with the CFSC curriculum and our MBSC right. intern education 
because then I could really utilize it as a tool to help educate the people in our uh, in our bubble, really. Absolutely. Do you see this book as fitting in as a piece that is missing in your system or a piece that is missing in the strengthening community at large? I think it my I envision it as a way to educate younger coaches. Like I think about um, my program design class in college and like, why would we select certain exercises? And I feel like this would fit into a programming class to teach people uh, basic exercise selection. I feel like it would serve as a tool for our interns to understand why we choose the exercise we choose. And I feel like for CFSC, it would go very well with the program. And, and so I kind of saw it fit in education for all young coaches. And that's really what I hope that it's, it's used for. When you first started writing the book, I know a lot of different physical therapists, strength coaches, massage therapists that are interested in being an author, contributing to a book. Did you always have this idea in the back of your head? Like, hey, someday I want to put my name on the front cover of a book or did it just kind of when Human Connects approach you is like, well, I guess I'm doing this now. Well, actually, I already wrote another book that I want to publish that I started to write first. Sure. And then they approached me with this idea. So I, I have this other book that I've been working on that is outlined and shaped pretty well and, and written for a, a large majority um, about the idea of movement as medicine, like preventative exercise for health, right? And um, I've been kind of working on that for a while. And my intent was to self-publish um, oh, wow. one way or the other. And then I was reached, I got reached out to by Human Kinetics about this project. And so I was like, well, I'm going to go all in on this. And then now maybe I can use this as a springboard and opportunity to to write more. Um, so again, like this wasn't originally my idea, but I'm happy then and thrilled behind the idea. And I think it kind of fits right into what we do. Um, but yeah, I've always kind of wanted to write. I enjoy writing. Um, and, and it's a definitely a hard process, but a rewarding process. What was the hardest thing about it? And what was the most rewarding thing about it? I mean, it's just a lot of writing and editing. And yeah. like after a, a number of drafts, like you don't want to read your own work. You need to get away from it because you're like, I'm so sick of reading this over and over. Um, and like, then you'll give it to someone, they'll rework it. You have a couple editors um, to give you feedback. So just uh, after like 10 times through the ringer and a year and a half of editing, you're like, okay, I just want to see this thing um, be developed and being in its final form. Um, but you learn a lot. You, you If you want to, truly get your thoughts out on a topic and be clear about your philosophy, write a book mm -hmm. on it. Uh, because you're really going to have to be honest with yourself. And you have to look at it and feel good if you're going to publish it. So I mean, it's definitely a, a good project. And I, I learned a lot about one myself as a writer, but also my thoughts as a coach in the process. And uh, I'd recommend anybody even if you're not going to publish something to take the time to write out your beliefs, uh, because it really helps to clarify and crystallize them. A little bit it's hard to sell other people what you think if you yourself don't know what you think and if you keep kind of going on the surface level like oh like i you know i'm about this or that you never really get to those core principles of like what do i actually stand for and when hard times come or when success comes it's really hard to know who you are when you don't have those core principles and the foundation of what your career is about in place so it sounds like you've had that um, your whole life. Going back to the, the writing, editing process, when you first started out in your career, did you have a hard time? Let's say like you did a podcast and you listened back to like how you talked about certain things. Do you have a hard time listening to yourself or rereading your writing, things like that? And if so, how did you get over that? 
I think everybody doesn't like to hear themselves or read themselves early on. For sure. Um, I think the biggest, that's the biggest hurdle people need to get over though, to get better in that if you don't do honest um, work on your writing skills or your speaking skills, you're going to hit a roadblock. And so what I've done, like when I do public speaking at like perform better or something, I'll try to go back and listen. I already re-listened to my lecture from the seminar last weekend. There's a lot of things I wanted to change. I already re-gave the presentation again based on that feedback. Um, you have to feel uncomfortable. And so that sometimes that means getting a coach, like a writing coach or a speaking coach who can give you feedback um, because it's the only time you can really be honest with yourself and see where you make mistakes, but you can get so much better from doing that rather than just kind of sticking your head in the sand and trying to ignore it um, and continuing to make the same mistakes. Did you have experiences growing up where you were forced to be uncomfortable and then you learn from those experiences? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think that uh, like as a kid, like you try to avoid anything that could cause embarrassment, especially <laughs> when you're like in your early teens Um and like anybody, you kind of shy away from those moments. But I think as you start to gain some confidence, you look for uh, opportunities to grow, hopefully. And and so whether that's public speaking, whether that's in sports, whether that's in uh, business, or I think you have to kind of start to seek discomfort a little bit, whether that means like putting yourself up, putting yourself out there and trying to public speak for the first time. Um, I know that was one for me that was really, really scary and intimidating to do. Now I, now I enjoy it. Um, but, but you got to kind of put yourself out there and, and, and try it. It's really easy to talk about successes, projects that go well, business models that go well. It's sometimes really hard to reveal times that you struggled, times that you failed, times that an idea of a project didn't go away. Do you have an example in your professional career where something didn't go the way you wanted it to. And then you, you learned from it, you grew from it, or it made you change. Oh my God. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would say a few different things. We tried to do like education type mentorships early on before CFSC launched and we didn't really know how we wanted to do it. So we did all these like little mentorships and uh, like traveling mentorships and like it, it still wasn't in the model we wanted mainly because I don't think Brennan and I were ready to teach on the scale that we do now with things like CFSC. Um, and that kind of, that kind of failed and, and floundered. And then um, I think we tried to do some online training stuff that didn't really work it at well, well either because we didn't understand how to create a system to support it. Um, and so all those failures kind of helped us figure out how to do it successfully. I think that you have to go through those failures before you can really figure out um, how to do things right. I think there's this idea that everyone has an idea of how to run a business before you start to run a business and you don't. Um, you learn, everybody learns kind of as they go and, and you figure out what processes work and what processes don't. So, I mean, we, we, we struggled for a little while and then we kind of figured out how to build CFSE and turn that into something that's been wildly successful for us. And uh, I think the biggest thing, I, I like the idea of ready, fire, aim, right? You got to, you know, you got to just start and then kind of hit the ground running and figure it out. Absolutely. Co uh, coaching and running business are so similar where you can have all these hypotheticals, you can have all these ideas, but until you start implementing them and figuring out what works and what doesn't, you're only going to get so far. You're only going to have so high of a ceiling and you have to go through some bumps in the road to get to where you actually want to go. And you might even go further than you initially planned once you start 
oh, this didn't work. We're going to pivot this way. This works better. And you can only do that by getting your hands dirty, by trying projects, by putting yourself out there, by being embarrassed, by public speaking, which I think everyone has a little bit of fear of. Let's talk a little bit more about CFSC. There's so many different certifications. There's so many different educational products out there. What makes CFSC different, unique, and special? We tried to build CFSC to have as much practical carryover for the coach as possible. So I want them to come to the course and think, oh my God, this is actually going to apply to my everyday coaching. I can use these ideas, these progressions, regressions, these philosophies to help better serve my clients. I feel like a lot of courses that you go to are heavy on the theoretical and that stuff can be interesting. But when you go back to work, you don't actually feel like you have a more, uh, more widely expanded toolbox. And so when we built the course, the only reason we built CFSE is because people kept asking Mike to, to come up with something. And we never valued certifications in our hiring process at MBSC. We only hired out of our, men, our uh, internship. We still only hire out of our internship mm -hmm. because we value that three-month work experience. So what we said was we want to try to bottle that three-month educational experience into a course. So we built that online component that they do first and they come to a practical course and actually have to coach and we pass and fail them on their ability to coach. Cause that's really all the only things we hire people on. I don't care about their degree. I don't care about what books they've read. I don't care about their blog. I care about seeing them coach for those three months and seeing their interaction with the clients that we have and seeing their ability to communicate and demonstrate effectively. And so we, that's what we figured we'd grade people on. Like, I actually want people to come and have to coach in front of me. And I think to myself, would I hire this person? And uh, so, so that's why I think it's valuable. I think we actually, we want you to have some skin in the game and some experience and the ability to actually do the movements as opposed to just kind of memorize a textbook. I like that a lot too, because that has the biggest carryover to a future career as a coach is how do you actually do it in person? When I was in physical therapy school, they... I went to the University of Minnesota. They did not do an in-person interview to get into school. And then for your boards, it's an it's an online exam. Like it's a multiple choice, 250 questions, whatever. And I always thought that was so strange for a profession that values uh, the in-person like relationship building. Like how do you interact with other humans? How do you actually apply the knowledge that you have to your day-to-day? -day? And, and strength conditioning is very similar and massage is very similar too. At some point, you've got to be able to apply what you've learned and what you know to an actual experience of coaching or treating or teaching. And if you can't make that connection, you are going to continuously fail and not help your clients and patients. Mm -hmm. With CFSC, tell me a little bit more about the process. It's, it's, are you guys all online now? Are you doing more in person? How has that changed over the last year? Yeah, it's been kind of crazy. So we we were only in person up until January this year. Talk about fortuitous timing. Right. Um, and then we built this online platform. So before you did your pre-work online on our website, you did you watched the lectures, you read the mm -hmm. ebook, you took the online exam, and you and we still have that. But then what we we had a lot of people asking for an online course because they there was obviously economic limitations to being able to travel and take time off. Um, people being unable to get to the course. So we built an online practical where uh, we actually filmed a live course. Like I had a cameraman follow me as if you were in the crowd uh, for Q and A and demonstrations and instructions of a, an entire course. 
And then you also had to submit an online practical exam. So it's uh, longer and more extensive than the in-person one. Uh, you have to demonstrate, cue, uh, show progressions and regressions, work around limitations and, and film it all and submit it. And then we grade it. And so that, um, that's what we shifted to. And, and luckily we did, because I, I'm not sure we would have made it through uh, the pandemic, uh, come, come the end of February. So that, that's been, been great. We've been almost entirely online. We've done a couple in-person courses. Like I said, I'm going to do one coming up in a couple of weeks here, um, in New York, but they're all pretty small. Um, there's a lot of travel restrictions leaving and coming to and from Massachusetts. So, mm-hmm. um, it's harder for us to do them. Obviously there's no international right now. Um, but I mean, we'd be able to make it work like today, actually, right now we, we offer these, accompanying webinars that go along with the online course because people still want to be able to interact with an instructor, ask questions live, see them demonstrate right in front of them. So right now what we're doing, if people sign up for the level one or level two online course, once a month, we're doing a webinar to go with that. And so we set up the cameras at the gym. Our coaches teach a live course, just like you get in the virtual course, but then you can ask questions, ask them to clarify and demonstrate. And that's at no extra charge. So that way we can still, we still want to give that in-person experience because I think there's so much value in the, the in-person experience that, that you can't always replicate uh, online. I agree. And I think we've learned a lot in the last year that some online is good, but too much might actually be detrimental to not only our growth, but our just our, our basic human needs of, of needing that in-person interaction, whether it is personally or professionally. The longer I talk to you, like the list keeps going. It's like a book and it's a certification and it's your business and it's these projects. How do you make your priorities like on a day-to-day basis? How do you not get overwhelmed with all these different things that you have, uh, you know, a hand or a piece in and, and how do you manage that? Oh, you can definitely get overwhelmed. I think it's natural. And I think the idea that people always talk about balance. I think the idea of balance is like a myth. It's about just choosing where you're going to put your energy into. Like you have to be intentional with it. Um, but you're always going to, I think if you're pushing hard to build anything, it, you're going to have instances where you're like, okay, I'm doing too much, but you got to kind of be on the edge to, to build something. And so I think I'm very, I try to be very intentional with my time. I schedule out my day. I schedule out my week. I, I make a to-do list and I, I try to stick to it and it's not always perfect, but I'll say, okay, like I'm doing this podcast from 10 to 11. Then I'm going to work out from 11 to 12. Then I'm going to work on this project from 12 to two and like be intentional with how you schedule your day all the way down to your exercise and to your leisure time. So that way you can be fully engaged in what you do. There's a good book that I go back to a lot called the power of full engagement. And that's what they talk about is being able to be intentional with your energy. So that way you can be as productive as possible in the time that you do have. Um, because that does a lot of times seem like there's not enough hours in the day, uh, to do all the things you need to do. Absolutely. What areas of your life get put to the side when you have too much going on and how do you work on that to get that better? Yeah. So like I, I try to not cut out my personal and social life. Like I, I like walking my dogs every day. I like spending time with my wife. I like exercising. The big thing I used to do is like, if I didn't schedule my exercise in my week, I just wouldn't do it. Because like, I'm right. like, oh, I have another client that wants to see me. Or I have to do this phone call. Or I have to do this. And I, I had to draw a line around that part of my day and, and not let it get taken over. Because that's the first thing that gets scheduled out. I mean, it's it directly 
relates to how your clients view it too. It's the same thing. That's the first thing in their schedule. And you have to realize that sometimes exercise adherence isn't a, because, you know, people are lazy. It's just because they, they're not intentional with their time. Mm-hmm. Because if it can happen to us and we're in a gym all day long, it could happen to someone who has to drive, you know, 30 minutes to come and see you. So, um, I, I, I learned that I had to do that out of failure and, and that I didn't take care of myself. And like, I always tell our young coaches, like, you're going to burn out. Everybody's going to go through that. Um, especially early in your career in a, uh, a business that where you're trading dollars for hours all the time in a service industry, like fitness, if you got to build your career at first, you got to say yes to everybody and right. you got to get, and you got to gain that experience. And that's a valuable experience. And I think everybody should go through that. But at some point, when you start to get other things in your life, when you're not like 22 years old and you don't have anything else to worry about, mm-hmm. um, it, it, that doesn't matter. But as you get older, you have to start to think about, okay, I want to spend time here. I want to do this. I want to do this. How can I maximize my energy? I mean, it demands systems to be able to do that. And it's never perfect. I think sometimes you hear these productivity or people or motivational people tell you like how their life is ideal, but it's not like that. You have to continually each day work on, you know, how am I best utilizing my energy and spending my time? How do you react then when you have a day planned out and it doesn't go the way that you anticipate, whether it's external circumstances or you're just not feeling up to the schedule that you had out? How do you respond to that and how do you react to that? Oh, ask my wife. It'll rattle me. <laughs> uh, because like I like things done like the way I plan them out, right? And I'm like, the same way. Like, yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I, okay, I, I'm planning to do this from here to here. So then when people start to like time suck you or like take your time away from you. Like I, I try to be very protective over my time. Right. And it's because in a, in our life, it's a schedule appointment based business. So I don't, I hate being late for things. Like I, I, that's the one thing that drives me nuts. I do not like being late. And so that stuff can rattle me, but I've also had to learn that, okay, I have to build a little flexibility into my day. Uh, like, so that, you know, these things don't throw me off. And that's been a process for me to learn. Um, and my wife's real good about that. So she's kind of like helped me, uh, like learn to kind of flow with it. Cause she's my, a little more easygoing than I am, but, uh, it definitely is a challenge. The flexibility part I've really learned too. And even if that means just scheduling an extra half hour to get a project done or an extra 20 minutes to drive somewhere because you forgot you had to like go get gas and that'll throw off your old schedule. Just like having the, the grace or the, whatever the right word is to give yourself a little more time or a little more energy, a little more effort. It's also amazing to me that, and it's it's truly unfortunate that we cut out the things in our life that are actually like the most important, whether it's time with friends and family, or it's, it's sleep or it's exercise, or it's not eating well when things get busy. Why do you think humans do that so much? They cut out the things that truly are important in, in order to meet the demands of their day. Yeah, I think a lot of us are just driven like by dopamine to like achieve things, right? We like yeah. the we like the rewards we get, whether it's money or accolades or praise. And I think social media makes it worse mm-hmm. uh, because you get all this this praise for for whether it's a post or an achievement or a seminar or a book or whatever it is. Um, but at the end of the day, that stuff's going to all be gone. Um, yeah. and so it's, it's, you don't get as always as much of a dopamine hit from, you know, just spending time quietly with your family, watching a movie or going for a walk or things like that. So you have to remind yourself 
uh, especially when you're doing those things, how good that stuff makes you feel. Um, because I think a lot of times we're driven to achieve things, which is good. It's important. It pushes technology forward. It pushes our culture forward. It obviously helps build your career. But not, I, you can obviously see that there's a lot of people who are very successful but aren't happy. Um, so that balance, I think, is important. And every time I find myself kind of being tired or worn out or not being motivated, I always try to check myself and think, okay, it's probably because those things are out of balance and out of whack. Right. Um, and you, you never want to be a successful asshole who like family doesn't like them and doesn't appreciate <laughs> them. And, and they thinks that like, Hey, I don't care who you are. Uh, you didn't spend any time with me. Right. right. I remember Mike, Mike saying like his son doesn't give a shit that he's Mike Boyle. Uh, <laughs> you know, like he wants him to hang out with him and, and spend time with him. And that, that's, that's a really good reminder. Like no, at the end of the day, that's really what matters. So you got to continue to remind yourself of that. I've heard a couple of stories of his where he just gets upset that his, you know, 14, 15 year old, 16 year old kids or whatever, and his friends, they get to go train on Mike Boyle's strength and conditioning and they do not care. Like what, and they have no idea, like the context of like how amazing this place is and all the different people there and they're surrounded by, like they're just kids going to work out. And it just makes me laugh that like a lot of coaches I talk to, whether they're surrounded by, you know, a, a great group or they've built a successful business the, the people like closest them they like don't get like this is actually an amazing facility and one of a kind and nationally known they're just 14 year olds running around trying to have a good time that's, that's that's funny that you bring that up exactly exactly and i think keeping in perspective and having family that keeps you grounded is is very important absolutely another thing that uh with uh career success career motivation career like going up the ladder is with coaches sometimes it's hard to be happy and fulfilled with where you're at, but at the same time, not becoming complacent and, and stagnant and just, you know what, this is good enough for me. How do you balance those two? Yeah, I think you, it's funny because there's so much talk now about, you know, positive self-talk and being like your own cheerleader and like making yourself feel good. But I think there's a balance between being your, being your own worst critic and also being positive and being grateful for where you are. Mm -hmm. um, I think too much in one direction or the other is a problem. I think if you're beat yourself up and, and continually say like, I need to be better. And like, uh, you only give yourself negative self-talk, then you're obviously not going to be successful and you're not going to be happy. I mean, you might be successful, but you're not going to be happy. Um, and on the other side, if you only tell yourself how great you are and like that, Oh, I'm perfect as I am. I don't need to be better. Then you're probably not going to achieve very much. Um, and ultimately I think that it's this dichotomy where to be happy, you need to have some discomfort. Right. Um, I think part of the problem in our society now is we have, we've had never had more comfort in our entire life. Mm -hmm. Uh, never has been there. You know, there's like, like we have more than we've ever had and people are probably less happy sometimes than I think we've ever been. Um, but then sometimes you go talk to people who have less and it puts things in perspective. So I think you need to, you need to have put some negativity in your own life. Um, in that like, okay, where do I honestly need to get better? Have a, a honest assessment of where you can improve, how you can, uh, help more people, how you can have a better impact, but then also take back and do like things like gratitude journaling, sure. um, taking the time each day to say, okay, what am I really happy, happy about? What am I grateful about? Uh, what can I be thankful for? Uh, because then it allows you to kind of take a breath and say, okay, things are going okay. I think you need to balance those two things. 
And that's why I think reflection and journaling is so good because you can take that yin and that yang and write those things down in front of you and, and kind of have an honest assessment of where you feel that you were at, you know? Do you schedule time to reflect throughout the day or do you just kind of do that whenever it comes up or when it's available? Yeah. Yeah. I try to do, I think me walking, doing like, I literally, yeah. I say walking my dogs is the best part because I, it's quiet. I think you need some, some inner quiet time because you can sit time and sit down and actually think about what it is. And I like the use of a gratitude journal or any of those daily planners that kind of force you to do that each day. Uh, because again, it's the easiest thing to skip over right? because it's uncomfortable and it doesn't seem pro like productive. You don't see like, Hey, I wrote down this gratitude on here and I get X result. Uh, but at the end of the day, it changes your thinking, which is, is really important. So making time for that stuff is important and it doesn't take a lot of time. I like that you talked about being forced to be uncomfortable. When I, when Brad and I first started the podcast, we would just ask people that we knew people we knew would say yes to being a guest that we, they knew that good information. And then as it, as it came along, I really started figuring out, you know, some of these people aren't going to ask me to be a guest, you know, if, like, if they're out in Boston or they're out in San Francisco, like they might not know who I am. And I look up to them. I'm the one who has to reach out. I'm the one who has to be uncomfortable. I'm the one who has to risk them saying no. And, and if the worst thing they say, no, like I don't have time, then you move on you find someone else that, that can be it. So I've definitely learned that over the course of this podcast is you do have to be a little bit uncomfortable. You do have to have, um, this, this sense of, of courage to, to ask someone that, that might not want to be interested. And if it's someone you look up to, that's hard to hear sometimes, but you never really know who will say yes, who will have good experiences, who you'll connect with and who you might even collaborate with down the road. So on that note, thank you so much, Kevin, for taking time to be on the podcast. It's been awesome to pick your brain. I'm really excited for your book to come out and for everything that you do for the strength and conditioning community. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. This was a really nice way to have my Saturday morning. So I uh, appreciate it.